This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. One death could lead to another. On January 31st, 2019, a young boy found a body in a case that maybe is connected to the suicide of an unrelated woman. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Before we start today's story, I need to relay some information about its main player. This story centers around an individual referred to in sources as either Ellie or Eli Washtock. This person was gender nonconforming, and it's unclear which name they went by at the time the crime took place and what pronouns they used. So for today, we are going to use they-them pronouns and the most common name amongst the sources, Eli. In 2019, when the story takes place, Eli Washtock was 38 years old and living in a condo in St. Augustine, Florida, had a background in auto mechanics, and had both a son and a daughter. Mostly keeping to themselves, Eli moved to Washington from Wisconsin, and at the time, their son was living in a different condo just downstairs. But on the night of January 30th, 2019, and into the morning of the 31st, Eli was home alone. At around 7.30 a.m. on the 31st, Eli's son, just 15 years old, called 911 to report that his father had been shot. Mentioning that the shots were fired through the wall and that Eli's firearm, a 9mm, was at the scene, the son was then asked by the dispatcher what he was seeing inside of the home. Asking if Eli took his life intentionally, the son answered that he did not believe so because there was a lot of gunfire. Though the number was never officially released, Eli's son made it clear that this was more than just one shot to take a life, that Eli's body and the walls might have shown signs that this whole thing was a murder and not a suicide. Unfortunately, all the DNA found in the condo was from people who either lived there or had a reason to be there, nothing from an unknown source that could point to a killer. Investigating the case as a homicide, a lot of speculations started to swirl connecting Eli's death with some research they were doing on a controversial case from the same city. You see, back in 2010, a young woman named Michelle O'Connell died in what was ruled as a suicide, 
but that many believe was actually a murder committed by her boyfriend, who just so happened to be a deputy at the St. John's County Sheriff's Office. The bullet that killed her was one that came from his service weapon, but for whatever reason, there wasn't enough evidence to support the case as a homicide. While this seems unrelated to the death of Eli Washtock, sources claim that just six months before their death, Eli put in a public records request for documents and crime scene photos related to Michelle's apparent suicide. They had allegedly been in contact with Michelle's mother, Patty, and when she learned about Eli's death, she reportedly said, I was petrified. I was shaken. Washtock was intrigued because he didn't think Michelle killed herself. While those who believe she took her own life might have seen Eli's searches as odd or useless, they were not the only ones looking back into the case and trying to get some answers. In 2013, the New York Times and the PBS program Frontline both raised questions about the forensic evidence and found some shortcomings within the sheriff's office handling the case, despite the fact that one of their own deputies was a person of interest. They found that Michelle, a single mother, was in the process of breaking up with this boyfriend when she was found fatally shot with his service weapon at her side. There were also questions about a cut found above her right eye and whether or not this was a defensive wound. In the crime scene photos, the gun was seen by Michelle's left hand. She was right-handed, and the gun itself had no blood on it, nor any other DNA or fingerprints, even from the boyfriend who had worn his gun belt on a previous shift. As debates raged on, Patty O'Connell gave permission to exhume her daughter's remains in 2016, which revealed that Michelle suffered from a cracked jaw that was consistent with blunt force trauma. A rare thing if the case was indeed a suicide. But as far as the St. John's County Sheriff's Office is concerned, that's exactly what this case is still classified as. And with Eli's death, another mystery was added to an already pretty confusing case. Was Eli Washtock killed because they were investigating Michelle O'Connell's death? According to their father, Eli put their son in a different condo on the lower floor because they knew something terrible might happen. Their father also stated his beliefs that the research cost Eli their life, saying that if they weren't looking into Michelle's case, they might still be alive today. But to the authorities, the two cases are not connected at all. Claiming that although Eli was absolutely investigating the case, all the information they found was stuff that had already been broadcast by others, and nothing in their notes showed any real breakthroughs. No arrests have been made, and no suspects have been publicly identified, though there does seem to be a person of interest, but not enough evidence to elevate them to suspect. The only real big piece of evidence is the fact that there were no signs of forced entry, and that, given the security gate, police believe Eli might have known their attacker. The family has made desperate pleas for someone to come forward. So far, nothing, and no one has. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to your terrible thing happened on February 1st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon, or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.